Hello and welcome to the Factory Founder Podcast. I'm Andy Obufuribo. I'm product lead at Founders Factory Africa. And I'm really excited because I'm in the studio with the CEO of Winnich Farms, one of our alumni portfolio companies at Founders Factory Africa, Riches Atai. Riches, good to see you. Welcome to the Factory Founder. Thanks a lot, Andy. So I think before we get into it, a lot of people... A lot of people have heard about Winnage Farms. Lots of people have heard about Winnage Farms. But for the few who haven't, tell what does Winnage Farms do? Okay. What problem are you solving? Uh, so Winnage Farms, we in simple terms, we are platforming Africa's informal food supply. That's what we do at Winnage. In simple terms? Yes. How about in simpler terms? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in simpler terms, we're easing how informal processors and retailers can get access to their inventory directly from the food producers without the activities of middlemen. Wow, that's a big problem you're trying to solve there, right. like cutting out the middle middleman in ag tech, in, in Africa in general, but Nigeria in particular, because the, you know, the distribution ch- um, chain is not optimal. It's not the best. I guess I should ask you why you give yourself this particular headache. Why, of all the difficult problems to solve, why did you choose this very difficult problem to solve? Okay, so it's quite an interesting story to say the least. So let's just piggyback to when everything started, right? I was in the university and in the university, I mean, I studied in the University of Benin in Nigeria and in the university community, those who went to University of Benin will attest to the fact that the most consumed food was beans. Right. Right. And while students were, you know, really wanting to consume beans, they had a number of challenges that they faced. So I studied economics and statistics. So I decided to do some survey to understand the problems that students were facing, you know, in the process of consuming beans. Uh, Long story cut short, we're able to provide a solution to those challenges that they faced. But while we were doing that, the major challenge we experienced was accessing the raw materials from the dealers. It was really very challenging. Aside from the fact that we don't get the inventory when we wanted them, the other part was that it was really expensive. Around the same time I was in the UK and I realized that beans was way cheaper in the UK than it was in Nigeria. Hmm. Even more worrisome for us was the fact that Nigeria at the time was the largest producer of beans in the world. Wow. So it just did not add up that beans would be cheaper in UK than it was in Nigeria. So it was on that premise upon graduation, myself and my co-founders decided, you know what, let's do some backward integration in the value chain to understand why this problem really existed, you know, and why we should solve this problem. Needless to say that in my growing years, I used to live with my grandparents at some point in my life and they were smallholder farmers. Okay. And each time they needed to sell their harvested produce, they had this popular Nigerian phrase, maybe an African phrase, in their lips, which was, monkey they walk, baboon, baboon they chop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean, for those, the audience who would be listening to this, who do not understand what that means, what it means is, Smallholder farmers do a lot of the work, but the middleman takes uh, the margins away from them. That's the monkey they work and the baboons eat it, you know. So all of this put together was the reason I said, you know what, if there are smallholder farmers on the one hand who supply the inventory to the people who need them, but are being marginalized on that side, and then those who need them are not able to get them at the right time in the right quality that they need them, Aside from the fact that the prices are always way too expensive, 
because of the long chain of middlemen that are reading both sides of the value chain from the value that they were supposed to get. You know, we thought, okay, if we could provide a solution in this regard, it would not only economically be beneficial to both parties, but the impact would even be much better. And that's why we decided to venture into Winich. Oh, that's a very clear description of the problem. And I think I'm sure now the listeners are curious about how you're actually solving it. So what does your current solution for this separation of the supply and demand look like? Okay, so I guess maybe later on we'll talk about how the whole process and yes. how we got to where we are now. Right. Right. But what the solution looks like now is we've been able to create a platform that connects the food producers on the one hand directly to the processors and retailers on the other hand without the activities of middlemen. And we do this via a hybrid democratized approach. So we imbibe both online and offline approach, mm. you know, to ensure that they can connect together directly, you know, seamlessly without the activities of middlemen. Okay, great. So we flipped to the end of the book to see how it ends. Now let's go back to the beginning. How did you get here? How did your solution evolve over time? I mean, when we decided to do the backward integration, it was quite interesting because I had not... I mean, Nigeria is such an interesting country where about 70 to 80% of the food produced is grown in one segment of the country. That's right. the northern part of the country. Yes. And they supply the southern part and I mean, typically the whole of Nigeria as a whole. So I had not lived so much in the north, right? So having to pick up my bags with my co-founder and relocate to the north to see how this would pan out, you know, was quite a very tedious task, you know. But by the time we did that, Upon getting, upon the backward integration that's mm. moving to the north, we realized that, yo, aside from the fact that the farmers are being marginalized as a result of, you know, poor access to fair markets, they are, as well did not have access to financially inclusive services like credit and insurance to increase productivity. Mm. And, and that's because, I mean, the high cost of setup of the traditional banks and micro-lending institutions in rural environments is really high. So it made sense because a large number of their transactions were cash-based. So because they were cash-based, aside from the fact that on one hand, they were marginalized by the middlemen, on the other hand, you see a farmer who owns three acres or one hectare of land, but can only cultivate like one acre, you know, because they didn't have the resources to do much more, mm. right? So when we got to the last mile, we thought, okay, how do we begin to just connect their produce directly to market? You know, but that was when we realized that the major thing that we needed to get was trust. Right. Right. So they did not know us from anywhere. How could we just come and tell them, oh, we can connect your produce directly to the market and you will get good margins from it. You know, it was a very, uh, uh, I mean, a huge mountain for us to climb. So we thought, okay, what's the better approach to go about this? So myself, I mean, we, we thought, okay, how about we begin to provide credits to these guys and by providing credits to them, we can begin to get their trust, you know? I mean, for us to get their trust, like the, there's a popular saying that you give trust to end trust, right? Right. So we decided to trust them first by committing credits to them so we would gain their trust. So we went through the route of working together with their local heads. I mean, in most rural parts of Africa, they trust their local heads even much more than the state government. Right. So we decided to work closely with their local heads to be our 
algorithm, our credit rating algorithm <laughs> at yep. that time, you know. So we went to the local heads and the local heads were the ones vetting um, which farmer they, you know, based off their records, which farmer they know, you know, would has good integrity, can deliver. And they recommended those farmers to us. So myself, my co-founder, I mean, the monies we made from our previous startup, we decided to use that as, you know, our capital to providing the credit. So we started first with five farmers and we provided the five of them with credits, what approximately about $100 each, mm. you know. And by the time they harvested the produce, aside from the fact that we provided them you know, improved seedlings, which helped make their yields way better right. than they would normally have gotten. So words, I mean, the rural environment, one, another key thing for them is they live a very organic life. Mm. So organic and what's the right word? I mean, they have, they are so co-joined to one another that yes, words, communal and yeah, a communal lifestyle, right? That's the right word. So if one person gets a very good benefit from your solution, the words will fly organically. They will spread the word amongst themselves. So with the five farmers getting a better yield than they got when they were just cultivating on their own, and then they got credits to as well drive that same yield that they got, you can then imagine how much the word spread far and wide. And then the next cycle, we had 50 farmers that had been vetted by the local head, and we provided credits as well to the 50 farmers. Beautifully at the time, my one of my co-founders, who's our CTO, helped us to build a crowdfunding platform. Right. right. So we crowdfunded, and that's how we got the capital to be able to fund the farmers who were getting the credits, you know, in inputs that we're providing. And beautifully, I mean, at the time, we're able to as well engage one of the leading insurance partners in Nigeria, mm -hmm. Leadway, yes. as a partner to ensure that all the farms were insured, you know, because that was a very critical part because, I mean, the funds were not our money, they were crowdfunded. So right. We had a commitment to pay back. So we reached out to 50 farmers. I mean, we provided credit to the 50 farmers. We got almost like a 98% success rate as well. And at that time, imagine from five farmers, we got 50. And then from 50, they got improved yields from their cultivation, then you can imagine how our words, our names were going to fly around the community and the neighboring communities. I dare say that at the next time we were supposed to be providing credits, we have over we had over a, a thousand farmers seeking to get credit wow. from us. Now, that's where the tricky part came. Mm. COVID. Aha. <laughs> and then regulation on the on the other hand. So the SEC came to regulate the crowdfunding space at the time and right. said if you didn't have um, a particular amount to pay for license, you were not going to be able to continue to crowdfund. We didn't have the funds at the time. So it was it was such a big blow on I mean, first from the regulatory side. So we began thinking, how do we work with third-party financiers, you know, to provide the credits for these farmers because mm. that was typically the business model and it was working for us, you know, especially the fact that by the time the farmers harvested the produce, they brought the produce to us and the produce was what we were connecting directly to the food produce um, processors and mm -hmm. the retailers. So the margins were great. Everything, business was beautiful. But regulation came, we couldn't continue with crowdfunding. Partners at the time, remember our credit rating algorithm were the local heads. That's right. So going to the banks to tell them, oh, we can assure that the farmers will pay. What data do you have? We say, the local heads. The chief. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, come on, that's not data. So we cannot, you know, rely on that. 
But beautifully, for every of the farmers that we provided credits, we had their data, their names, their phone numbers, you know, the amount of credits that they got in, mm-hmm. in um, input value. The history. The history, right? We got their, re- I mean, when they paid back, how much yield did they get? Mm-hmm. It was at that point we realized, now this data, it's a mix of both qualitative and quantitative data sets. Mm. How can we leverage on this to build the real algorithm and not rely on the local heads as our algorithm? Right. You know, to begin to build the credit score. So that's where it also got interesting. So again, COVID then came in 2020. Just at the same time, I think about a month or two months after regulation stopped us from crowdfunding. Yeah. And when COVID came, our processors that we were supplying, boom. They were saying their businesses were closed down. We couldn't supply them anymore. I mean, a lot of open-air markets that were also supplying the retailers. I mean, especially in, in Nigeria, a large portion of the state, they started shuffling it once a week. Yes. Open markets will open right. or twice a week. So it was very difficult for us to get produce to, you know, the processors that were our customers at the time, you know. That's on the demand side. On there the were even restrictions side. on interstate transport, transport as well. Right. You know, on the on the supply side where the farmers were, even more tedious for them because now they had harvested produce. Yeah. But the, the harvested produce, they couldn't take it to the market. They couldn't sell it because no factory was opened. People were locked in their homes and they had a lot of their produce going to waste. Right. So, taking us back to the first uh, model that we wanted to start, which was connecting the farmers' produce directly to markets where we just come to their communities, pick up the produce and help them sell to the processors and retailers. Yeah. But they did not accept them because there was no trust. But we had used over a year plus to build trust by giving them credit and helping them increase yield. So at that point, it was the farmers that started reaching out to us to say, yo, I have my produce. Can you help me sell it? And we're like, yes, we can. But the only difference is you will give us time to sell it. Are you willing to drop the produce for us? And you'll come back after like a week or two weeks and we'll help you sell it. And they said, yes. I mean, it was better off for them than keeping on to the produce and having it go to waste. So that's where the trust even increased much more because they dropped the produce with us. During the COVID, again, we pivoted to creating an e-retail platform, an agro e-retail platform. I remember myself and my co-founders spent almost two weeks in the office building that. And when we were done, it was a, we changed the model from B2B during the COVID to B2C, where individuals in their households can just order a basket of produce and we will have the produce delivered to them in their homes. Yeah, And that's how we pivoted during the COVID. And we had farmers drop off their produce and the trust further increased because they were dropping off their produce. A week time, two weeks, they get a notification on their phone saying, your produce has been sold. Come pick up your money at the agent centers. And they go back, pick up the monies. And the trust, I mean, in the most vulnerable point in their lives, we were there, we were able to create solutions that was servicing them at that point in their life, helping them still earn income, you know, to be able to cater for their family. That's how we continually build trust and Post-COVID, we returned back to our B2B model of supplying the processors and retailers. And we had gained the trust of the farmers over the years that even when we returned to the B2B, they were willing to drop off the produce with us and come back after three days, five days and pick up their monies. That's how we have transited and transited. So now where we have built an inventory manager app where, I mean, 
thankfully we raised our previous our, our last our first round last year and uh, we're able to build an inventory manager app for the informal processors and retailers you know, that demand for inventory from the food producers. Amazing. And it's been an amazing journey. It's nice to hear about what happened on your journey before I joined it. Uh, you know, because by the time, you know, I, I first started working with you through Founders Factory Africa, yeah. you were already at that point where you had the trust of the farmers right. and the farmers were dropping off. Just post-COVID, they were dropping off their produce with you and getting paid when it was sold. So it's beautiful to see how that trust evolved. And Coming into it, you, you maybe I think you and your team perhaps underestimated what trust, how, how essential trust would be. But it's really gratifying to see how quickly you guys caught on and the work you put into building that trust um, with the farmers. You talk about community because we often talk about product-led growth, but it looks like what you had there, you could call it community-led growth because it was really the farmers pushing and helping you recruit other farmers or the example of the success of your other farmers. And I wonder if you think dealing with agri-tech agri where it's, it's very heavily offline, like you said, how critical is understanding community dynamics to growing, growing your customer base? Okay, so, so I should just add something that you just said, which was there's a, a huge notion that agri-tech agri is heavily offline, not necessarily. And I say that because working with the smallholder farmers, I have come to understand that farmers are first business people right? than they are anything else. They are first business people. So whereas a lot of people think, oh, farmers are not open to using technology. That's really not the case. If they see how that technology will help Benefit them, them. end better, you will be shocked to see how quickly they will adopt it. And I'll give a perfect scenario. When we began having farmers drop off their produce at the agent centers, right? We tried to make it as very easy for them as possible. Mm. So we got feedback from them when they say, oh, I drop, I will take my produce to the agent center. And it's at the point when I'm getting to the agent center, I am knowing the price of the produce. Is it possible for me to know the price of the produce ahead, ahead of, of time, time before I can take my produce there? So I know that as I'm taking it there, I am selling it off at once. And that's when we rolled out a USSD solution for the farmers for them to check their foot to check the prices right that happened to be one of the highest places where we, there was a cash burn because we were the ones catering the cost for the USSD. Uh -huh. <laughs> so you will see farmers every single whether I mean they just want to check okay is the price There's favorable price for now. me now <laughs> and as soon as they see that it's favorable boom they are going to sell so it has helped you understand how they are happy to adopt technology as quickly as possible when it's going to be beneficial to them. So they are not rigid towards technology. They are happy to accept it as long as they can see how clearly it will benefit them. I can go on to show other example using the mobile app. Farmers would not mm -hmm. use the mobile app, but the agents who uses the mobile app to help them onboard the produce. We see farmers still drop off their produce and in 48 hours, they will come get the money. Why? Why are they using the technology? Why are they not going to the open air market on market days to go sell their produce? It's because they know using the technology helps the price is competitive there. Right. So they, if they can wait for three months to plant their produce and they've harvested it, what is two days or three days that they will wait for them to get better prices for that product? So again, the farmers are very happy to adopt technology as long as they see how clearly it can benefit them because they are business people before anything else. 
That's beautiful. I I think to go deeper into that point, if you will, because what you see, you're describing there's a situation where the value has to be clearly spelt out and articulated. And what would you say are the core pieces of value that Winnich Farm is currently giving your farmers uh, on the farmer side of things? And what do you want to give them next? What other problems are you thinking about solving for them? Right now, there are three core things that we do for the farmers. The first part is market efficiency, where they can sell their produce when they want them, how they want them, where they want them. What I mean by that is, so think of it like POS points. I oftentimes used to use this as a perfect example, right? Before POS businesses came into the Nigerian space, to do simple banking transactions like cash in, cash out, you'd either have to go to the bank or you go to the ATM machines and join a long queue. The same thing is was for the you know farming communities. Mm. Whenever they wanted to sell their produce, they would have to go to the market days and wait, you know, during the market. And those market days were not every day. Right. They were specific days, some once a week, some once in 10 days, you know, and they go there to sell their produce. It wasn't efficient. So what we did, the first value we have provided for the farmers in answering your question is the flexibility and ease for the farmers to sell their produce anytime they want them, you know, and it's readily available. The solution is readily available for them every time. Because through the democratized agent centers that we have set up in the communities, whenever a farmer decides to sell his produce, all he needs to do is go to the agent center, take his produce there, and, you know, his produce is sold. That's one value. The second value is if the farmer goes to sell his produce to, let's say, maybe one of our competitors mm. or even the open-air market, as soon as they are done selling the produce and they get that money for selling the produce, that's where the value ends for them. But utilizing our solution, we've been able to build an algorithm that builds them a credit score. And the farmers are very much aware that the more they utilize the solution and sell the produce, the better credit score or credit rating that they get, which opens them up to accessing other financially inclusive services like credit and insurance to increase productivity. I know I said there are three key things that we provide for them. The third is still in the pipeline, which is providing, I mean, returning to providing credit again. I mean, because we don't have the license to provide credit, we're working with third party partners to provide, you know, credit to the farmers. And that's the you know, the third key thing for the smallholder farmers utilizing Winnich. While discussing that and in other answers, you've talked about your distribution, you've talked about your agent network, you've talked about your drop-off points. So there is there is a considerable ground game here. And I think almost everybody playing in the ag tech space has some ground game, right. I think, because ultimately it's there's an infrastructure deficit. So I'm curious about what you think about the future of that in terms of as you grow, how are you thinking about making that ground game more efficient so that its costs doesn't keep growing at the same rate as your growth, as your business growth? That's one. And then two, is, is, it, is it correct to say that a big part of success in ag tech is basically a competition for who has the best ground game? Yeah, so, so typically, it's not the competition of who has the best ground game, but who has the best product. Ooh. Right, not the best ground game, because you can have the best ground game, but if your product is shitty... I mean, at the end of the day, because people will only skew to products that service their needs the most, right? they would as well, I mean, regardless of the amount of ground game you have, if your product is shitty and they bring another product, you know, into the market, they would rather skew to the Okay, let, so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. 
two companies. One has a great ground game and a shitty product. One has a great product and a shitty ground game. Which one can adapt adopt easier? Okay, so it's a, adapt it's, easier, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky question. I say that because <laughs> if you don't have a good ground game in the Arctic and you have a shitty product, because there's no alternative, you will get the market. Right. You would. But that is not to say that the one who has less ground game but a good product for that segment of the market that he's servicing i can bet you you who have a good ground game you cannot take you that can't part, those guys. part yeah. of the market so even if it's just the community that they are mm. if they have only one or two agents in that community and the product is good but you have 100 agents in that same community but your product is not good. Trust me, they will queue up for that one that has two agents, but with a good product. But when we say ground game, it's not just centered in one community. It's how widespread how are you. Yes. Right? So at the end of the day, it's still a game of who can cover more grounds yes. at the end of the day, right? right. So uh, that's why I said it's a very tricky question. Uh -huh. So there's no there's no one-way answer to it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then that sort of puts our spotlight on the agents themselves. Mm -hmm. Whether they're, you can call them agents, in field operatives, extension agents, they're called different names, but right. it's the, the the foot soldiers who are, who are getting the product and interacting with the farmers. Yeah. And they become such an essential part of the business. So two things, how are you making their work easier for them? And how are you keeping them loyal? Because they're often getting pushed between actors, right? Right. So, so the beautiful thing about it is, now I'm considering if I should share some parts. So I, I would just be conservative, right? It's but, just two of us. This isn't going on the internet on. or anything. <laughs> so, so I would I would answer some parts, but sure. I would leave some parts. Sure, you tell me later. <laughs> so, so if you think of it like this, how we make their work easy? First, the agents earn commission from every produce that they aggregate. Okay. So there is a positive relationship between. First, the amount of farmers that they onboard on our platform and the amount of produce they aggregate, meaning that the more farmers they onboard, the more produce they can aggregate, which as well, there is a positive relationship between the amount of produce they aggregate and the amount of commission that they earn. Mm. So they are very much aware that the ball is in their court at, at the end of the day. But why it's even easier for them, you know, to say it this way is because the farmers, we don't need to run promos like referral bonuses mm. for farmers to, you know, to in, talk to, to refer more farmers to use the product. Mm. Why? Because the product is good. So as long as the farmers enjoy your product and because they live a communal lifestyle, it's easy for them to talk to other farmers about utilizing the product. And with other farmers utilizing the product, automatically there is more commission that the agents will earn. How we make their lives easy is we ensure that, I mean, because the kind of markets we serve where it's informal oft um, processors and retailers, there are quality control measures that needs to be put in place, right? So those quality control measures, we try to ensure that the agents have this starter pack that enables to ensure that the produce that they are aggregating meets the quality control measures that is required by the off-takers or the processors requiring the produce. You know, so, I mean, how we keep, keep them loyal, I will leave that part of the conversation for now <laughs> because, I mean, that's what makes them loyal to us at the end of the day. So, yeah.
Okay. So, yeah. I'm having images in my head of blood oaths, but I'm not going to... I wish it was like that. (laughs) So, but that's an interesting point that, you know, because the product is good, the farmers themselves are doing the marketing for you. It's mm-hmm. almost like product-led growth, you know, in a way right. that it's the customers who are out there and in their inter- in using the product and their neighbors are seeing them, they're referring their neighbors. So you're sort of taking the burden of sales off the shoulders of your agents, agents right. by having a great product that's selling itself. Mm-hmm. So then they are focusing more, even though they are still selling, but they're focusing more on receiving, you know, the produce, re- right. receiving the produce, going out and, and assisting. Yeah, so that makes perfect sense. Uh, be, beyond that though, so let's talk monetization. So obviously you are you're making a profit, you're, you have a margin. Mm-hmm. You're, you're buying from the farmers and selling f- and selling to the off-takers, and you have a margin in there somewhere. Do you have any other monetization streams? There any other revenue streams? Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, we have, say, two revenue streams now. The third one is currently in pilot phase. The fourth one as well coming into the picture. But the major two now is from, I mean, the commissions that we earn from connecting the informal processors directly to the food producers. That's on the one side. The second part is, I mean, the farmers, when they are cultivating, we saw that they get to experience a lot of losses Mm. that are exogenous to them, right? Right. Like multi-peril, for instance, flood, Mm. windstorm. We saw what happened in Nigeria, even across the world. Last year, there was a huge incidence of flood that happened, right? So, we noticed all of this in time and we began the insurance products for them. So we get a commission as well, mm. you know, from by connecting them to insurance products to ensure that their fields and their farmlands, you know, are highly insured against all form of multi-period that, you know, shows up. Then the third revenue stream that we as well, like I said, that is in pilot as we speak now, is the trucking commissions, right? So the trucking commissions, we have truck drivers, you know, who... The truck drivers who picks up the produce from the agent centers to be delivered to the off-takers. So these truck drivers are not our truck. We are, I mean, we are mm. very asset light. So we use third-party truck drivers, our third-party truck drivers, partner and um, partner firms, as well as individual truck drivers who own their trucks and you know they are happy to move produce from one location to another. So as we bring give them business, it only just makes sense that we just get some form of commission from the business that we give to them. Then that's the third one. And then the fourth one that is in pipeline as well is the, you know, credit for both the farmers on the one hand and then the informal processors, like mm. a buy now and pay later for right. the informal processors. So, yeah. If you're succeeding at selling insurance to farmers, I really want to know your secret because we know that um, insurance has always been, you know, very difficult to sell in Nigeria, one, even more difficult to sell in the informal sector in Nigeria, two, and then farmers are notorious for not wanting to spend money on anything <laughs> <Right>. in advance. <laughs> so, I'm really curious. Is that, again, the trust coming in, the trust you built in those first few years that's come kicked in now to allow you to tell a farmer to pay ahead of time for something he or she may not need and how has that worked how, how right. has that so, so if you remember uh, um, when we were talking about those trust years yeah. I said we provided credit to them and then when I mentioned the f- time we provided credit to 50 farmers mm. I said it was like a 93-96% there yes. about success rate right. now the ones that we considered unsuccessful were the ones that had the incidence of multi-period whether it was flawed or pest mm. infestation but the farmers were not asked to pay for anything. Ah. And that's because we had taken insurance for them. Mm-hmm. So by the time 
the farmers realized, oh, I mean, they were worried that we gave them credit and then they had a problem with their farms. They were worried because they had to pay. I mean, their mm. religion has that they will have to pay yes. no matter what happens to the, you know, their farmlands. Or, I mean, if you take a loan, you have to pay. Yeah. That's how their religion is. So because of that, they were really worried of finding how ways to pay for it. I mean, that was the, the key points to sell the insurance product to them, to tell them, oh, you're not, you don't have to pay for this thing because insurance already covered for it for you. Mm. Now, even when we provided credit to about a thousand plus farmers, we had a number of them who as well defaulted, not because they were, they wanted to default, mm. but because multi-peril happened. And yes. then they saw that they were not going to pay because insurance had catered for, you know, the losses that they had. That was a good selling point because the easiest way to sell something to, especially that segment of the market, is when they see the problem real time. Yes. And they see <laughs> that even though the problem exists, they are not being affected by the problem because something is, I mean, there's a solution for it. That's how it has been for us. Now, that is not to say, I mean, right now we have over 80,000 farmers on our platform, right? That's not to say the whole 80,000 of them are using insurance products. Of course not. But we are seeing a huge amount of acceptability, you know, of it. And we know, I mean, as time goes on, it will just increase based on the strategies that we have. One thing that's coming coming through for me is that Winnich Farms, you guys are very good at not letting a crisis go to waste. So you've talked about how, you know, the multi farmer failure due to multiparel, you use that as a way to show them the value and the benefit of insurance, got more of them willing to accept insurance. Previously, you talked about COVID and how you leverage that opportunity or that problem to push the idea of the farmers depositing their produce with you and farmers now adopted that behavior that before they were pushing back on. So I'm curious to see if you're three for three here. Now that we have a new crisis, which is the <laughs> cash scarcity crisis, what are you pushing now? How are you using this crisis to improve some part of the business? Okay, so like, I, I mean, I, I really do wish this was a video podcast, right? Uh, and I say that because it would be easy to just showcase what we, we have done already. Okay. right? Not what we're even doing, what okay. we have done. But before I even say that, I will give the credit to my amazing team. I, I, I often get to call them soldiers. Right. Soldiers because they are very proactive. They see the troubles ahead, even when we don't even know that the tr trouble will come. But we're able to see ahead and begin to create solutions for that to come. I mean, several months ago, we already began talking about how we wanted to digitize payments for farmers directly. I mean, because of the volume of transactions we're doing, we're rising, right? It was yep. rising very rapidly. Right. And we thought, okay, can we roll out debit cards for farmers? Okay. But before debit cards, we had thought, can we roll out wallet systems? Mm. We rolled out wallets. It didn't give us the kind of traction that we wanted, the mm. acceptability that we wanted. So we decided to roll out wallets, to roll out debit cards, I mean to say. And yes, to that, as of today, this is the debit card. Thanks to Founders Factory Africa, as a matter of fact, You're we've welcome. been able to roll out a Winnich Farms Farmers Debit Card. We're currently piloting for 2,000 farmers as we speak. Wow. And the traction has been amazing. Amazing because, again, there's a currency or cash crunch crisis. So right. farmers having to receive their payments directly to their debit cards and they can use it to pay for anything wherever they are, whenever they are, even makes it easy for the adoption to happen. So right now, we're even seeing farmers pull together to use one person's debit card, you know, to accept payments. So imagine if we had rolled you know, the cards at scale, mm -hmm. there would even be much more acceptability than it is currently. So 
we have thought about this. Maybe others should probably come and find out what's the next problem that we're thinking about. <laughs> and, you know, so yeah, that's how far we've come. Yeah, so 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 apart from your credit rating algorithm, you seem to have a crisis prediction algorithm. I know, right? Working somewhere <laughs> in there. <laughs> so yeah, definitely, it's clear that you guys are knocking all the obstacles in front of you as they come. You're growing. You've expanded now to 14 states, I believe. Yes, right? 14 states. Beautiful. Right. It seems like the sky is the limit, but let me tap f- for my last question. Let me tap that your crisis prediction algorithm mm. and ask you, <laughs> uh, what do you think are the big challenges ahead for you in particular, for the sector in general, and how are you thinking about navigating those? The big crisis for us, as we see, especially in the sector, not necessarily for us, but for the sector as a whole, is traceability. Mm. That's a very huge one. And by traceability, I'm also referring to logistics. So right now on our platform, when off-takers order for produce, they can see real time where the truck drivers who are bringing the produce are at every single point in time. Mm. But based off the amount of, I mean, based off the data that we have, there is a limit to the amount of truck drivers who are tech savvy that can utilize that solution. Mm. So it therefore means that as we grow and scale, there's a possibility that we could get to a point where there are no enough truck truck drivers that are tech savvy that can enable us see real time as the drivers are moving produce from point A to point B, right? That's a a huge challenge that we foresee to come. And and like I said, it's not... It's not just particular to us at Winich. It's the sector as a whole. It's the infrastructure deficit as a whole. It's the adoption of technology as a whole. It's the mobile money penetration as a whole, or mobile internet M- usage as, yes. a, as a whole. You know, So it's not particular to us. But that's um, a challenge that we see. But the beautiful thing is, I mean, there are a lot of asset financing companies trying to solve problems like this. You know, So we only just are, are optimistic that they go faster than, you know, when the crisis will show up. That's what we're just optimistic about. Riches Atai, thank you so much for the time you've spent with us here. Riches is the CEO, founder of Winnage Farms. (laughs) And thank you and hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for all the work that Founders Factory does. I mean, we're a huge beneficiary of it. We can't thank the factory enough indeed is a factory right because you guys help refine startups their ideas help get them to scale we're really grateful for all the support that we've gotten you know i guess we will get more i guess <laughs> so thanks so much thank you